Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Garden of Grief. All right, so we have now reached the evening before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so on that evening, you remember from last week, Jesus and his disciples, they had, they ate the Passover dinner. And during that dinner, this is way, by way of review, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so they did that. They ate the bread which was symbolic of the Passover lamb's body which was about to be broken. And then he took the cup and he gave it to them and he said, drink it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so with those monumental words, what did Jesus do? He, he established, he initiated the new covenant. The new covenant where he, as our Passover lamb, would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could be forgiven. If you're new to the Bible, please hear this. The scriptures are very clear. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so that's why he came. That's why he left heaven and came to earth and hung on a cross. And so under the Old Covenant, Old Testament, right, countless animals were sacrificed. Their blood was shed in order to atone, in order to cover temporarily the sins of God's covenant people. The old covenant is done. The new covenant has come. And now Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed once and for all. And so those of us who have turned from our sins and turned to Christ alone for our salvation, we can have the assurance that his blood, his perfect blood, the blood of the eternal new covenant has washed away, not just covered, washed away our sins, past, present, future, and we know that his promise will be kept and he's gonna get us home safely before the dark. We thank Jesus for the new covenant. And so after eating that Passover meal, we call it the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. It says in verse 26 that they sang a hymn and then they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so I want you to picture it in your mind's eye. Jesus and his um, 11 men, right? Judas is already gone. So Jesus and his 11 apostles, they leave Jerusalem, they head east, they cross the Kidron Valley, they walk up, it's just a mile or two away, walk up the Mount of Olives. And as they're making this little walk from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, Jesus begins to share bad news and good news with his men. Okay, so today we're picking it up in verse 27. So if you're looking at Mark 14, 27, just say amen. amen. And for those of you who are visiting, if you come back, and we hope you do, I just want to, to let you know our culture here, 95% of the time is just verse by verse by verse. So I hope you bring your Bibles and you follow along. And so verse 27 says, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. That's some bad news, isn't it? You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But 
After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And so the bad news was that all the disciples would fall away. And in sharing this bad news, Jesus quoted from Zechariah 13, verse seven. He quotes a prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures we call it the Old Testament. Zechariah 13, seven says this, and I quote, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Okay, so Christ, of course, is the shepherd who would be struck down, and the disciples were the sheep who were about to be scattered. But how many of you are glad that after bad news in the Bible, there always comes good news? Have you noticed that? I mean, there's bad news, but then there's good news, and there's, bad, there's some good news, and, and the, the really good news is I've read the end of the Bible, I've read the last two chapters, it's the best news of all, and God's people win in the end. All right, so that's good news. And so good news follows the bad news. The good news was that after the shepherd had been struck down, verse 28, he would be raised to life. That's some great news. Jesus rose again. And later he would be reunited with his sheep in Galilee. But here's the problem. Sometimes the bad news is so bad, we don't wanna even hear the good news. Or we can't hear the good news. And that was Peter on this day. Peter didn't even hear the good news. All he could hear was the bad news. All he could hear was that he and the other apostles were gonna scatter, that they were gonna fall away, that they were gonna put their tails between their legs and run away from the trial that was coming. And Peter thought, not me, no way. You guys ever watch Sunday football? You ever watch these guys when they make a great play and they go like this? That's Peter right now. Look at verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they, can you see him pointing at the others? Even though they all fall away, chest beat, I will not. So Jesus has to humble his dear, dear friend Peter here. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Ouch. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And so can you see Peter's head swelling here? Right? Even though they all fall away, I will never fall away. His head gets a little bigger. Even if I have to die with you, I will, deny, I will never deny you. Head's getting even bigger. And what happens when your head gets real big? Your body gets top heavy and you fall. And in just a matter of hours, some little servant girl's gonna say, hey, your accent gives you away. You're a follower of Jesus. No, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. Bam. Just like Jesus said. Before Peter boasted, he should have remembered this verse. I think 99% of you know it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a what? And so Peter had a big head filled with pride and because of that, he was about to fall. I just remembered the title for next week's sermon. It's called Fail or Flourish. It's all about Peter and what happened before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he failed, but then what happens after the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Spirit, 
he flourishes. Thank God, good news always follows bad news. And so it's a good lesson for us today. Before we start boasting about how great we are, we need to remember Peter's big head. We need to remember, remind ourselves of Peter's fall. Whenever we allow ourselves to get a big head, whenever we start thinking how great we think we are, how talented we think we are, how valuable we think we are, we really should remember that when our head swells, our bodies, like Peter, get top heavy and we fall as well. Instead of focusing on how great we think we are, we really ought to train ourselves, train our minds to think about how great God is. Right, Here's, that's, that's what we do. We have a thought, it's contrary to God's word, we take that thought captive and we replace it with truth. And so the next time you or I start to think about, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm impressing myself right now, we should take that thought captive and say, Jesus, you're the vine, John 15, I'm just a little branch. True life, true power, true wisdom, true love, it comes from you, not from me. I'm just hanging out, I'm just relying on you, I'm just um, abiding in you. It's your life, power, wisdom, and love that's flowing into me as I focus on my relationship with you. That's my number one duty. It's to focus on my relationship with you. And as that happens, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control comes out of my life and I'm a blessing to others. And who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Amen. Just the opposite of what your culture's telling you. Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So they now arrive at the famous Garden of Gethsemane. If you go with us to Israel, we go every two years. We'll take you there. And it's a beautiful, lovely grove of ancient olive trees in that area. Some of those trees over 900 years old. And so what the word Gethsemane is very interesting. If you're taking notes, it means an oil press, okay? So the Hebrew word for Gethsemane means oil press, olive oil press. And so olives back then, still today, when olives are harvested, they're very, very hard. And so in order to extract the oil from the olives, it was a two-step process. Step number one is that they had to take the harvested hard olives to the olive crusher. And so we're gonna put a picture up there. And so what happens is that you have this big millstone and they'll stick a wooden beam into the hole of that millstone and they'll attach the wooden beam to a donkey. And then they'll lead the donkey around that whole olive crusher of course, after putting the hard olives into the basin. And what happens is that the weight of the millstone crushes, pulverizes those olives, crushing both the olive and the pit, making it pulp. And now you have to use your imagination. I don't have a picture for this one, but then they would go to that basin and they would take these round flimsy baskets and they would gather up the olive pulp shove it into the round baskets, and they would take the baskets to step number two, which is the ancient olive press. 
Can you guys see the 10 or 15 baskets, flimsy round baskets that are stacked up underneath the millstone? Yes or no? Okay, so that's what they do. They put those baskets there and then what happens is that they press, they've already crushed them, and now they're pressing them, and in that edifice underneath the baskets, there is a container that receives the olive oil. And so olive oil was very important in Israel's economy. It was used for food and medicine, perfume, cosmetics, soap. It was used to light oil lamps. And so I want you to picture this with me. There's Jesus, there's his apostles. They enter the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of the oil press. What does that mean? That means when they walk into this garden, something like that is what Jesus sees. And when Jesus looked at that, I'm just wondering if he thought about what he was about to experience in the next 24 hours. You see, just like olives were crushed underneath the weight of a millstone. So Jesus, our Savior, would soon be crushed under the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin as well. And so we see now in verse 33 that he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Okay, so if it's a clear night, there's a full moon, it's Passover. It's dark. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is troubled. Verse 34, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And so as Jesus begins to think more and more, looking at that olive press, as he begins to think more and more what he's about to experience, the mental, the emotional stress of the press, the, the mental and the emotional consideration of the cross begins to weigh down on him, begins to crush him mentally and emotionally, begins to press our Savior. Luke tells us, Dr. Luke, the historian, he tells us that it was at this time in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus begins to sweat great drops of blood. It's a medical condition called hematidrosis, documented in history since the time of Christ, that's experienced by people who are under a great amount of stress. They actually begin to sweat blood. In Gethsemane, Christ was being crushed. And in a little while at Calvary, Christ is gonna be crushed even more. I want you this morning to just open your mind and open your heart to reconsider what Jesus Christ did for you because he loves you and me so much. Why, 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 why was Christ crushed? Here's just one of the reasons, there's so many. Christ endured the crushing of Calvary so that the oil of Pentecost could be poured out. You see, biblically speaking, oil in the Bible is symbolic of, represents the Holy Spirit. And so just like olives are crushed 
underneath the weight of the oil press. So Jesus Christ had to be crushed, had to be pressed, so that he could later give us the Holy Spirit. He said to his men in that upper room discourse in John 14 through 16, he said to his men, it's good that I go away, because if I don't go away, the comforter, the paraclete, will not come. He says to them later, after he rises from the dead, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so when you get to Acts, and some of you guys haven't gotten there, and I encourage you to read the book of Acts. When you get to Acts chapter two, we read about the glorious outpouring of the Holy Spirit who filled up and flowed out of the disciples, but you need to know that the glory of Acts chapter two could never have happened without the crushing of Mark chapters 14 and 15. In other words, the beautiful, glorious outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God would never have happened unless Jesus Christ was crushed for our sins. He suffered, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and then what happened? He ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And you guys help me out. When Jesus went up, who came down? The Holy Spirit. In the early church, they called him the Happy Spirit. Some of you are discouraged right now. You're down. You're, you're, you're experiencing the blues. You need a touch from the Happy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you to overflowing. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came. Just like Jesus promised, the Spirit of God came. Listen, a church without the Spirit of God is dead. I don't want anything to do with that church. But a church that recognizes the fact that Jesus was crushed for our sins and opens their heart to the sovereignty and the lordship of the Holy Spirit, that's a dynamic church. That's a church that's going places. That's a church that changes lives, not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit, having freedom to live and reign and rule in the hearts of his people. And so the next time you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, the next time his spirit witnesses to your spirit that you're a child of God, the next time you receive power to be an effective witness for Christ, to overcome sin in your life, you ought to get on your knees and I ought to get on my knees and thank Jesus that he was crushed so that we could have the oil of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a beautiful truth. I'm gonna join you in clapping. Let's all thank Jesus for what he did for us. He did it for us. He's so worthy of our praise. Now, Jesus was fully God and fully man. We know that. One person, two natures. As a man, in his human nature, do you really think he wanted to be crushed? Not so much. The way we know that is because he, what, what, is, what he says to his father. Look at verse 35. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. In verse 35, it says he goes a little farther. He fell the ground. I mean, he's, he's feeling it right now. Some of you need to know if you're going through difficulties, have gone through difficulties in the past, you need to know Jesus has been there and done that. 
He's a high priest that's been tempted in every area just like us as a man. He falls, he's under so much grief in this garden, he falls to the ground right here. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You see that? If it's possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, that means daddy, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, how many are glad he said this? Yet not what I will, but what you will. And so what was this cup that Jesus did not want to drink? The cup is the is God's judgment against our sin. Again, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, it's been a long time, I hope you'll have Dumbo ears right now because this is the gospel right here. The cup was God's judgment against Jesus' sins. Did Jesus ever sin? No, against our sins. And so Jesus knew as he's sweating great drops of blood, as he's falling on the ground, as he's praying in anguish, he knew that if he drank this cup that the Father was giving him, that if he would allow his soul to be made an offering for sin, Isaiah 53, that if he did that, he would, two things would happen at least. He would become the sin bearer and that would lead to what's called, theologians call it the cry of dereliction. Let's take number one, he becomes our sin bearer. Peter tells us he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. That's the greatest act of grace and mercy and love that's ever happened in human history, right there. Talk about selfless, talk about being others oriented. And, and the, the, the idea here is that that love, that grace, that mercy would motivate us, second part, that we might die to sin. Let's, let's, let's go back. Um, that we might die to sin and live to what? Okay, so, so you see this? Some of you may be here right now and, and you love your sin and you're living in unrighteousness. So what's happened in your life is that you haven't allowed what Jesus experienced in Gethsemane and at Calvary to go so deep in your heart that his kindness has led you to repentance to a place where every day you die to your sin and you live to righteousness. You see how that works? It's his kindness that should motivate us to repent. If you're living in sin and loving your sin and not repenting, um, you have no life in you, and you, know how, you have no chance of salvation unless you turn to Christ. But the main point here is that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so as Jesus is praying in the garden, he knew that even though he never committed a sin, even though that he was perfect in holiness from all eternity, even though he was the Lamb of God, spotless and clean, 
He knew that he was about to take the filth of my sin and the filth of your sin into his body on the tree. And that led to what theologians call the cry of dereliction. And so the cry of dereliction is this. And at the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., he cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you done what? Forsaken me, dereliction. The word dereliction speaks of being abandoned. And that's exactly what Jesus experienced on the cross. As he bore our sins and his body on the tree, here's what you need to know. The Father who is holy, the Father who is enthroned on the praises of his people, Psalm 22, 3, that the Father allowed his Son to be made sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. And so as Jesus is bearing sin, as he becomes sin for us, the Father turns away from the Son and leaves his Son in that moment of dereliction, in that moment of abandonment, in that moment of being completely alone, leaves him to suffer and to die. We believe from 12 to three, when the darkness covered the whole land, Jesus experienced hell for you and me. And he cried out in quoting Psalm 22:1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a new experience for Jesus. Throughout his whole life, him and the Father were like this. And by the way, before his earthly life, go back before the creation of the world, go back to eternity past. I don't care how far you go back. As far as you go back, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together in perfect, loving union, enjoying sweet fellowship with one another. But right now, 3 p.m. on the cross, Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath against our sins. And as a man in his human nature, he experiences a loneliness he had never felt before. Question, why was Jesus abandoned? Why was Christ abandoned by the Father? Answer, so we would never have to be alone. If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Why was Christ abandoned? So we would never have to be alone. This is what makes hell so awful in my estimation. Not so much the darkness, not so much the fire, not so much the worm that dieth not. What really makes hell horrible is that those who go to hell open their eyes like the rich man in Luke 16, and they're all alone, abandoned forever. A state of dereliction to pay for their own sins. What a tragedy when their sins have already been paid for, to pay for their own sins without end. And so the good news, good news always follows bad news, right? The good news is that because Jesus experience that moment of dereliction on the cross, that moment of abandonment, you and I, we never have to experience that in hell. 
if you will turn to Jesus Christ authentically in repentance and faith, his blood will wash away all of your sins and he will say to you, child, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're mine. In this life, in the next life, you and me, like that. That's the good news of the gospel. Now look at verse 36 again. As he's thinking about what he's gonna experience, there's another point I have to make from this verse. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. I have a question for you guys. You can answer out loud, yes or no. Did the Father remove the cup from the Son? No. What does that mean? There's no other way for us to be saved except through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I hope you see this. I hope a light bulb turns on inside of you. I hope the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind and heart right now. In this age of pluralism, syncretism, universalism, where everybody says the politically correct thing, that all religions are equally legitimate, that everybody's fine, that everybody's gonna go to heaven, that we're all gonna hold hands and walk off into the sunset together. I hope that you will forever put away that lie from the pit of hell, from your mind and heart, and you will realize that because the Father did not take the cup away, that means that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this for a moment. Doing, if, if, if doing good works, helping the poor, keeping the golden rule, going to church, or being nice, if those things will get you to heaven, don't you realize the Father would have said, yes, son, I'm there, I'm taking this cup from you, I love you, I don't want you to go through all that suffering and pain, I don't want some Roman soldier to open up your back, I don't want some Roman soldier to cram a crown of thorns on your head to nail my boy on a cross, I don't want some Roman soldier to stick a spear in your side, I don't want any of that to happen, and hey, they can all be saved if they're just good enough, it's gonna be okay, and he would have removed the cup but guess what? We can't be saved by our good works. And that's why Jesus said, not as I will, but your will be done. Go, 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 go. He drank the wrath that God would have poured out on you and me. He took it because he loves you. It's the gospel and it's a gospel of grace. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Don't ever, ever, ever walk away from that verse, John 14, six, hold on to it. I'm telling you, more and more, the churches are going off into liberal land. Everybody's okay. No, everybody's not okay. We're horrible sinners, we need a savior. Jesus is the only way. All right, so look at verse 37 now. And Jesus came, Peter, James, John, and found them what in verse 37? Sleeping. Sleeping. Oh, can you relate? <laughs> and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Sometimes I'm tempted when I'm preaching and I see somebody sleeping of sneaking down, <laughs> opening my Bible to Mark 14, 
Verse 37, and saying your name. Are you asleep? Could you not just watch one? But I'll never do that to any of you. I promise. It's just one hour. In fact, it's not even an hour. It's 40, 45 minutes. Starbucks is in St. Lucie West. Cappuccino, double shot. Man, you will, verse 38, watch and pray. Your eyes will be like... He says, Simon, are you sleeping? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. The flesh, yeah, it's weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, verse 40, he came to them and found them what? For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Verse 41, and he came to them a third time and said to them, are you still, what's the word? And taking your rest, enough. <laughs> the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Do you see the, do you guys notice the difference in Christ's attitude and demeanor right here? I mean, he went from Father, take this cup from me, falling on the ground, sweating blood, to get up, let's go. Here comes Judas. Walks right towards him. You see the difference here? Even though Jesus knew that Judas was coming with torches, with a big mob of soldiers from the temple with swords and clubs, here's, here's his chance. He could have said, but instead of that, he says, come on, guys, get up. The hour's come. Here he comes. And he walks right towards his trial, right towards his difficulty. He faced it. What was the difference? Oh, you got to get this this morning. Prayer, <laughs> that's the difference. Prayer will give us the faith and confidence that we need in order to face our trials. How many of you guys have seen The, the Passion of the Christ? Mel Gibson? long time ago. I try to watch it every year during, um, uh, I was going to say Holy Week, because my Catholic coming back out of me. Um, <laughs> you guys can relate to this. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Holy Saturday. I try, to, I try to watch the Passion of the Christ during that time every year, just so I'm freshly reminded of what Jesus did for us. And if you guys can recall, I know it's been a long time, but Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, right? And here comes this snake. You remember this? Who does, who's the snake symbolic of? Satan. And he's in anguish and he's praying, but then all of a sudden, maybe it's because of what Luke said. Luke tells us that an angel strengthened Jesus. But for whatever reason, through prayer, God shows up and Jesus gets up from his prayer. And you remember what he did? He just went out. Stamped, stomped on the head of the serpent and says, let's go. And he walks towards his trial. The disciples didn't share Christ's confidence. When they saw the huge mob in verse 50, they freaked out, fell apart, they ran away. Why? Because, verse 37, they were sleeping. Verse 40, they were sleeping. Verse 41, they were sleeping. 
Jesus prayed and he was filled with confidence. The disciples slept, they were filled with fear. Jesus prayed and he walked boldly towards his trial. The disciples slept, they freaked out, fell apart, and they were gonna run away. Jesus was victorious, the disciples were defeated. Why? Prayer. Difficult times are coming, church family. I know some of you, you've, you've been to hell and back. You've experienced it. Some of you, not so much. It's been pretty calm and cool and easy. Here's what you need to know. You're either coming out of a trial, in a trial, or going into a trial. And did you guys notice that you never know when those trials pop up? They just happen suddenly. And so because of that, here's my advice as your pastor to you. Every single morning when that alarm goes off, like mine did on my phone this morning, instead of hitting snooze, snooze, snooze. I didn't do this this morning, I'm just saying. <laughs> and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, snooze, 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 and then you see, oh man, I'm late for work, and you run out without praying. When you say, that may be the day when the trial's coming. And pardon the bad English, but if you ain't ready, you're gonna freak out, you're gonna fall away from the Lord. You may even deny him. Our flesh is weak, but the spirit inside of us is willing. We need to tap into his power every single morning through prayer. I'm not saying a little two, three sentences. I'm saying get up early and go find your spot and pour out your heart to God and let the oil of the Spirit fill you up and prepare you because if the trial comes that day, then, like Jesus, you'll have confidence. It's still gonna be hard. You'll have confidence to face it instead of running away. Verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, who came? One of the twelve. And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, makes you want to throw up. <laughs> Rabbi, and he kissed him. And then verse 46 the soldiers ran, they laid hands on him, they seized him. Can you imagine how hurt Jesus was when Judas kissed him? You, you, you gotta understand, biblically, you know, a lot of times we think of Judas as this shadowy, evil character, menacing, you know, kind of behind the scenes, and, and Jesus is always looking over his shoulder, you know, what's he doing now? That's not true. Jesus and Judas were tight. They spent the better part of three years together. They ate together, laughed together, did life together. The reason I know that is because the parallel passage in John chapter 13, when Jesus is talking about Judas's betrayal of him, Jesus quoted from Psalm 41, verse nine. I'm gonna quote the whole thing to you from the Old Testament. Listen, even my close friend 
in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus loved Judas deeply. Therefore, Jesus was hurt badly when he got the kiss on the cheek. Don't answer out loud, please. And please don't name names. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been stabbed in the back by a close friend? I have to ask you this morning in our closing moments here, how are you doing since that happened? And the reason I ask you this is because when someone gets stabbed in the back by a close friend, a lot of times they, they put a guard up and they just don't let people in anymore. They think, I don't wanna be hurt anymore. And so therefore, I think I'm done with close relationships. If that's you, no, that's no way to live. Here's the truth, it's your last point. After being betrayed, it's better to continue to love and risk being hurt than to never love again. What if after his betrayal, Jesus said, you know what, getting stabbed in the back, that was not fun, I didn't like being hurt, and so I think I'm done with close relationships. What if Jesus said that? He never would have reached out to you and me and initiated this love relationship that we have together. How many of you are glad that after Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he didn't stop loving people? He kept loving people. And by the way, he's been betrayed probably millions of times in 2,000 years, but he keeps loving people. If someone has hurt you in the past, it doesn't mean that everybody's gonna act like a jerk and keep hurting you in the future. Stop being so guarded. Open up your heart again. Allow yourself to love and be loved. The Apostle Paul said these three things remain, faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these, you tell me, is love. If you're guarded, you're gonna miss out on the greatest gift that God gives. Judas betrays Jesus. The guards grab him. Chaos ensues. And we're just gonna read down to verse 51, and we'll be done here. Verse 47, if you're looking at verse 47, just say amen. amen. Okay, so follow me here, because there's some kind of cool truths. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Do you remember who that was? Peter. Peter, yeah. And Peter's giving Mark the information for his gospel. Maybe that's why he didn't put his own name there. I'm wondering. Verse 48, and Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Verse 51, and a young man Ever since, I think, the third century, people think this is Mark, the author. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, that's a real awkward place to stop this morning. I don't know what to say about that. So we're going to go back up to verse 49. Okay, go back to 49. Here's how we're going to close. He says, but let the scriptures 
be fulfilled. Everybody look at me, please. What did he mean by the scriptures? We call it the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew scriptures. Isaiah 53, written 700 years BC. Daniel 9, written 600 years BC. Psalm 22, written 1,000 years BC. All of them, details about the suffering, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of the coming Messiah. And he fulfilled those scriptures. Jesus is awesome. And his love for you is awesome. And maybe you're here today, you've never experienced his love. Maybe you're here today, and if you die tonight, you have no idea where you're going. Listen, people die every day. You never know when it's gonna happen. Don't, don't think in your, in, in your mind, I've got till I'm 80 or 90 or 100 and I'm, I'm fine. Listen, we don't have that guarantee. If you're here today and you don't, you don't know where you're going when you die, you don't have assurance of the forgiveness of your sins, you need Christ. And he, how many of you guys believe he's here by his spirit in this room? He's here. You heard the gospel already, I preached it. You and I are sinners, we need a savior. Jesus paid for our sins and rose again. And now he says, come to me and I will forgive you, my blood will wash you. But you gotta come in repentance and faith. You gotta come, you can't just say, oh, okay, I, 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 I know that in my head. That's not enough, it's gotta go down here in your heart. And so if you need Jesus, man, you need to, you need to come to him in faith. Some of you here, and, and you, you came to Christ a long time ago, but you're not living for him. I'm glad you're at church, by the way. Praise God. But you know you're not living for him. You need to come back to restore fellowship with him again. And so when we do invitations, we don't do anything privately because Jesus hung on a cross publicly for us. He was not embarrassed of us. We're not gonna be embarrassed of him. So if you need Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you right now if you need to come to him or come back to him and receive forgiveness of sins, to just stand up where you are, just stand up and remain standing. If you need to come to Christ this morning or come back to Christ, don't say no to his love. Respond this morning. I'm just gonna wait for, your, for just a moment to see if anyone's gonna answer this invitation, this call today. But if you need Jesus, don't put your guard up. Let it down and let his love come in. Just stand and remain standing, whoever you are, if you need to come to Christ or come back to Christ. Church, be praying, because I know there's always a struggle. Last night, praise God. Praise God, awesome. Be praying, be praying. Stand and remain standing. And let's really encourage these people, because that takes a lot of guts, what they're doing here today. God bless you, God bless you. You guys can do better than that. Let's encourage them. This is a stand of courage right here. God bless you, that's awesome. Just stand and remain standing, whoever you are. You say, I need Jesus, I don't care who knows, I need him. He died for me, I'm gonna stand for him today. Just stand and remain standing. Last call before we address those who've stood. Anyone else wanna join in uh, today? And so for those of you who are standing, let me just say, I, I really admire your courage. And I think that's awesome. And, and I say this a lot, uh, but sometimes we have visitors and so they haven't heard it. But, but Jesus said, he said, if you will acknowledge me 
before man, I will acknowledge you before my Father. That's a promise of God. So here's what you need to know. On the authority of God's word, right now the Father is hearing your name from the Son. That's what God's word says. He's never broken any of his promises. And so if you'd like to receive Christ today or come back to Christ and receive forgiveness of sins based on his death and resurrection alone, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and say this out loud. In church family, uh, we're gonna say this out loud with those who are standing to encourage them. Okay, but this is not a poem. This is your prayer to the heart of Jesus. And so say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I need forgiveness. And you're the only way. Thank you for dying in my place and rising again. I open my heart. I receive you. Be my Savior and the Lord of my life. And help me from this day forward to follow you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All God's people said, amen. You guys can be seated. Now, here's some more good news on the authority of God's word. Romans chapter 10. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. You say, that's too simple. It wasn't simple for him. He paid a really big price. We get free grace. And so um, Pastor Mike's gonna come out and close the service, and he's gonna give some instructions to those of you who receive Christ and those of you who need prayer. I love you guys. Can't wait to be back next week and share a little more on Peter. God bless you guys.